Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, March 1st, and today on the show, a review review of the week's news and one more look ahead to town meeting, which takes place Tuesday of next week in gyms and town halls across the state. Last Friday, we heard from Susan Clark, the author of a book on town meeting and the moderator at the Middlesex town meeting. Today, we'll hear from the editor of the Waterbury Roundabout, Lisa Scalotti, about the town's agenda, not to mention what's going on in nearby Duxbury. We'll also review the week's national news with former congressman and political analyst Bob Ney at 10 a.m. That means yet another potential government shutdown, Mitch McConnell retiring, Bernie Sanders on Israel and Hamas, and much more. At 10.15, we speak with Seven Days reporter Kevin McCollum about uh, big changes coming to the way Vermonters hunt and trap. It's controversial, uh, a little underreported, and it involves age-old traditions and questions about Vermont's very identity, and we will have that for you at 10.15. And at 10.30, it's award season in Hollywood. The Screen Actors Guild gave its awards last week, and the Oscars are coming up. So what are the things that we, what are the films that we expect to win? What movies should we be seeing before the Oscars are given? Will Oppenheimer sweep the field? We visit with editor, writer, and film critic Keenan Ellis out in California. We also take your calls throughout the show if, when we can squeeze them in, 244-1777. And you can email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. I read and respond to every single one. So that's a lot to get to. But first, I wanted to review one of the major stories of the week, indeed, the last several years. Vermonters without homes are the subject of a back and forth at the legislature involving state program to pay for shelter in local motels. How that program is paid for and how long it should extend are the subject of debate, media attention, and fierce advocacy in the state house and within the administration of Governor Phil Scott. So I asked one of the leading experts on this issue to come on the show and explain the latest to us. She is Brenda Siegel. She's the executive director of End Homelessness Vermont and a consultant on human services issues. She was also the Democratic Party's nominee for governor in 2022. Brenda Siegel, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay. So can you, uh, for those of us who have not been paying daily attention to this, can you summarize the latest developments with the motel program at the legislature? Sure. The the legislature is just finishing up the Budget Adjustment Act. Um, They're going to vote it out of the House today. The Budget Adjustment Act is when they adjust the budget every year. Um, And in that is how we continue to or not continue to shelter Vermonters in the um, general assistance hotel motel program. So um, what they did in this uh, is they extended 
the program, so I'm going to start, I'm going to do it through, there's four things that they did. One is they extended the program to June 30th for some populations. So people who are in the, what's called the cohort, people were protected in Act 81 last year during the veto session. Individuals who meet what's called general assistance eligibility requirements already. And then they did something incredibly huge, which is they included in the definition of disability, the disability variance form. And what that does is meets the better the intent of the American with Disabilities Act. For a long time in our state, people who met uh, American with Disabilities Act definition of disability were discriminated against when looking for emergency housing. And this essentially repairs that at least until June 30th. So that's one thing that they did, and that's a really good thing. Um, there will be some people that could be left out and individuals who came in during adverse weather need to ensure that they are rescreened if they're being told that they don't qualify. And if they still are told they don't qualify, then they should reach out to us at findhelpvt.org. The second thing that they did was they created a cap for hotel motel owners of $80 plus some incentives if they wanted, um, if people, if they were, the hotel owners were willing to come to the table for a long-term lease. Um, that cap went into effect, unfortunately goes into effect today before the bill is even out of the legislature. And that left only two days to uh, get hotel owners on board. Uh, the administration had said that almost all hotel owners were on board. That was actually not factual. I'm in conversation with hotel owners all the time. Almost everybody was not on board currently. Um, and so on, or, or as of Wednesday morning. And so we at Homelessness Vermont spent the last two days calling every hotel owner out of state. And as of this morning, there are two hotel owners that aren't finalized, but says that they will come to the table. So we have essentially been able to convince almost everybody, but that was a, a looming disaster because misinformation was given. And I think that's really important. Um, that would have been thousands of people outside if we had not done, been able to do that work. And that included legislators, advocates, uh, people on the ground, hotel owners who talked to their colleagues, and um, economic service workers who renewed people as the hotel owners came on board. It was incredibly critical work on all, for all everyone on the ground. And then the last thing okay. they did was oh, they moved. Yeah, please go ahead. The last thing they did was they moved the money that the governor had wanted. The governor wanted $4 million for temporary shelter. This shelter would have only lasted three months and would have just been a transition from the hotels to um, a congregate shelter, which is not best practice, to then the street on July 1st, which isn't good for our communities or individuals um, or uh, the programs. And they moved uh, about two and a half million dollars of that to permanent shelter off options um, instead. And that is a much better use of that funding. So that was also a really good thing that they did. Um, uh, can you, really can you Brenda, can yeah. you stay with, can you stay with number, the last point you just made? So does that money go to, for instance, uh, uh, the, the Rick DeAngelis and, and his shelter in central Vermont, who's going to get that money and how would that work? Vermont Housing Conservation Board, VHCB, um, will get 
uh, $2 million of that money, and that money can be used, it will be directed to permanent, to permanent shelter option that gives more options for permanent beds, which is something we need essentially uh, in this state right now. Um, I think it's really important to just point out that the administration did not come to the table with an actual plan for now or FY25, and I'm hoping you'll have me on to have a fuller conversation about what we're talking about in FY25, um, but they did not come to the table. Their plan was to unshelter people, and this is what we've seen year after year after year, and these are human beings who, with children, these are people with disabilities. We have clients who have recently had a leg amputated. We have clients with severe medical needs and cancer, and all of these, many of these people would have ended up outside um, under the governor's plans. And, and we will, uh, we have offered to have the governor's uh, people on the show at any time of their choosing to respond to these uh, comments, and we await their response. Brenda Siegel, how many people are we talking about here? Um, so if you use the administration for some reason, um, there are 1,600 households who are currently housed in the Hotel Motel program, and the, for some reason the administration uses a multiple multiplies by 1.6 instead of using the actual numbers that they have in their system of how many people are there. But even when you multiply by 1.6, it ends up being around 2,600 individuals, 1,600 households, 2,600 individuals. Um, so in uh, so that's a lot of individuals and, and a many, many children, 500 or 600 children. So uh, we're not, we are, and we're talking about people who lost their homes in the flood. We're talking about people who's spouse may have died or, or, or is struggling with dementia. Um, we are talking about uh, people who are truly the most vulnerable people in our state, and they are Vermonters that have lived here for 10 years, 20 years, or are born and raised here. So do I have this right? Um, it is, today is March 1st. The legislature mm -hmm. has passed a uh, legislation to extend the program to June, the governor has not yet signed that legislation. Uh, it hasn't so, been passed out of the House yet. It will be this morning. Okay. And then the governor has to sign it. So are we looking at a sort of in-between period here before the governor signs the bill? Uh, I mean, are people going to get kicked out of motels? Um, hopefully, no. It looks like we've got, we've convinced almost every hotel to come on board with this cap. But in terms of the program itself, no, because people in who are in adverse weather or GA, um, regular GA, aren't scheduled to be exited until March 15th, and the majority of them will be allowed to continue till June 30th. Um, and people who are in the April cohort, which was the legislation from the veto session, weren't scheduled till April 1st, and the majority, and all of them will be able to continue till June 30th. And so, at least, and, and just to be clear to people who are listening, June 30th is the date because that's all that the budget adjustment handles. Anything we want to continue past June 30th has to go into the fiscal year 25 budget. So, once this bill gets signed by the governor, you uh, will begin working on the 2025 budget motel program. Is that right? Um, I will be working on the 2025 motel budget program, but also my team will be working on uh, supporting people in benefits navigation and advocacy and supporting people through fair hearings um, if they are denied 
continued access to the general assistance motel program. Uh, and so we want to make sure that people know to reach out to us at findhelpdt.org so that they can, uh, if they're denied, uh, even before you ask for a fair hearing, we can help you navigate through the system. And if you're someone with disabilities, um, that is a specialty of mine, and I'll be able to um, help support you through the process um, of, of remaining sheltered. Uh, Brenda Siegel, can you talk about how we got here? Uh, this seems to be an issue that communities across the country are dealing with. Uh, it's often easy for us to say, well, it was, a, it was accelerated by the pandemic, but how did we get to a situation where uh, more than 2,000 people, many of them children, are living in motels? What? what how did this happen? Well, I mean... This has been years and years and years in the making. Um, there have we have not done what we need to to uh, address regulations around zoning. We have not done what we need to to ensure that there is enough new builds of housing, and we have not we have a real stigma about poverty and homelessness that has created a situation where um, where we haven't been adequately addressing this. And I want to name that while the whole country is dealing with this. Vermont has the second highest rate of homelessness in the country, and it just keeps getting bigger and exploding. And the providers across the state and the individuals experiencing homelessness are given very little tools to help through that process. So we're basically just constantly, um, you know, trying to keep ourselves from drowning. And that is providers. And then the individuals in the program as well are just basically just trying to tread water. From your point of view, uh, what should we be doing? What should the Scott administration and the legislature prioritize as they go forward for the rest of this session? What's the ideal program to put in place? Well, the first thing we have to do is center ourselves in um, the idea that all people experiencing homelessness deserve to be sheltered um, until as a, as a shuttle to permanent housing, not a respite from the street. And then we need to ensure that we have multiple myriad, a suite of shelter options and permanent housing options. And that means in pick choosing as we create permanent shelters, spaces that then be, can be converted into permanent housing as we move forward um, when, when the time is right for those spaces. So we can create permanent shelters that actually can be converted into permanent housing as we're addressing this crisis. And then we can use things like um, we can use dormitories, we can use pods, we can use mobile shelters, and we can use hotels. And we can make sure that we are using best practices, which is non-congregate shelter. And then as people are transitioning into those permanent housing settings, um, we're able to reduce the population that needs emergency shelter. And I would also add that um, when you talk about VHIP, for example, um, that is 100% are supposed to be exiting people from homelessness. The governor's recommendation is to reduce that to 50%. And that is not exiting enough. You know, we're already not exiting enough people from homelessness. We should not be reducing any program that exits people from homelessness. Okay. All right. Brenda Siegel, uh, as always, thanks for coming on and give us giving us an update on this important issue. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
now to town meeting, and who better to take us through what's going on in Waterbury, Duxbury, and even some other towns than the founder of the and editor of the Waterbury Roundabout, the online journalism site that covers the Waterbury region, and of course beyond that. She covered a mass of Chittenden County towns while the town's reporter at the Burlington Free Press at a desk jammed up right next to mine back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And she now she is the king of the night meeting, at least since I remember it. Lisa Scolotti, welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. Good morning, Kevin. Um, that's a very nice introduction. I remember our days being seatmates back in the Free Press newsroom. I'm not sure I remember all those night meetings fondly, but uh, boy, it sure gave you uh, the knowledge that you need to do what you're doing today. Still doing many night meetings. Um, it was very fascinating to hear that conversation just now with Brenda Siegel um, about what's the, the latest on the uh, um, efforts over in Montpelier to deal with the unhoused population because we've we've had some uh, – uh, doozies of meetings here in Waterbury the last couple of weeks um, with, you know, some 200 people out um, coming to hear from these very state officials that you're trying to get on this program, um, Commissioner Chris Winters, um, talking about the, the really rushed plans to try to stand up more temporary housing, and the Waterbury Armory is, is one of those um, sites that's, that's on their list um, that they just kind of rolled out this proposal in the last few weeks, and uh, people are really scrambling to try to figure out how that's going to work. Um, how you know what the impact is going to be in the community and and how to make it work all around. It's it's been um, it's it just kind of came out of the blue and uh, everybody here is trying to figure that out. So it's good to hear that this April first deadline is maybe not as much of an emergency as as we expected. Um, but there's still a lot of questions as to how they're going to how they're going to shift from the hotel motel program and and where the the shelters are going to make a be a part of this. The uh, Waterbury proposal is for what Brenda was describing as a not best practice congregate shelter um, on a site that the the folks here in in Waterbury were hoping would be able to be redeveloped for permanent housing. So um, lots lots to still report ahead on that. Well, well, before we get to town meeting, Lisa, maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, I've seen the headline, but so there is a proposal from the Department of Children's and Families to take the Waterbury Armory, which I got to admit, I don't know where it is, and turn it into a, a kind of shelter. Tell us more about the proposal. Yeah. Um, so the Waterbury Armory, if you are driving down um, Interstate 89 southbound uh, from Burlington to Montpelier, you're going to see the Waterbury Armory. It's right along the interstate, just past the – it's right along the, the ramps um, at the Waterbury exit. Um, it's a big uh, in, you know, institutional-looking building there. Um, it was decommissioned by the National Guard in December 2022, so it's been a little over a year now that it's been sitting there unused. Um, the state was – we it was to go on the market, and a couple times they've kind of held back, and they just uh, – at the end of January, uh, the National Guard and administration human services folks went to the legislature to say they have a plan to transfer the Guard building to uh, buildings and general services, which is going to give funds to the National Guard that they need um, to have in hand in order to put money down on a parcel up in Franklin County to build a new armory um, uh, in the St. Albans area. Um, so this little property transfer that they're looking to do between the National Guard and, and state government. And um, the state then would take uh, full ownership of that and it would first, its first use for it, according to the, the BGS commissioner, is 
to um, outfit it now um, and to have it be one of these temporary shelters in this program that will be looking to help house folks coming out of that June last June cohort, um, the 16 household, 100 households that uh, Brenda was talking about. Um, they're looking at this being about a 40-bed shelter, um, a congregate shelter that would be um, for adults. They've told us it is not to be um, intended for families, but it would be adults, many of them elderly, many of them disabled, just like what you were hearing Brenda talk about, that whole group. Um, and those folks right now, are they're, they're not in or near Waterbury. And so that's one of the things that kind of came out of the blue, and the, the town officials here are trying to figure out, you know, how do we – how do we sort of mesh that in with our community? There's not services here. Um, there's a lot of pieces that need to be put into place as far as transportation and food and services and all this, um, you know, set up in order to be able to provide for a population like that. Um, it's essentially in a residential neighborhood. Um, people are, are concerned about, you know, what that will mean in the community and if there really is going to be you know, enough accommodation to be able to, to you know, fit this in. And, and also, you know, what's the, the timeline? That's sort of the biggest, the, the last story that I did after last week's meeting. Um, the, the whole um, biggest concern, I think, from the town officials and the community members that have come out to these meetings is just, you know, when is this happening? They've told us April 1st to, to June 30th, um, which at this point it doesn't look like it's going to be happening starting April 1st. That's only a month away now. Um, but also, you know, they've told us 90 days, and it's because, as Brenda said, that's that's where the funding right now is linked to the current budget that ends June 30th. There's no funding in the 2025 budget yet. Um, so it's been really fuzzy, and, and people here are, are very skeptical. And at the, the last meeting last week, Commissioner Winters, um, he pretty much acknowledged that it isn't going to happen starting April 1st. Um, and he also acknowledged that it's probably not just going to be 90 days. Um, so it's somewhere in between 90 days and not permanent from what we've been told so far. Um, and so anyhow, there's, there's a lot of disappointment, I think, on, on the part of the, the town officials here because they're really working to try to figure out where more um, housing can be built, more, more affordable housing can fit into the community. We're in a huge crunch like everywhere else where our vacancy rate is nil. Um, and they're, they're really looking at, at trying to see how we can fit more affordable housing into our downtown, and the Armory property looked like a good possibility that they were hoping that that could have been a site to be redeveloped for permanent housing. Um, there's also a spot in the state office complex that the legislature last year um, passed a, in the institutions um, committee. The, the Capitol bill had a, a provision that would transfer a piece of the former state office complex where Stanley and Wasson Halls used to be. They were demolished, um, and that's a, a lot that they are looking to transfer to the town um, to also be a, a potential affordable housing uh, site. Uh, that still is taking forever to, to happen. That hasn't quite happened yet. And as what um, Commissioner Winter said last week, you know, the, the, the answer long term is, is more housing and more, more, you know, variety of housing and more affordable housing stock out there, but that's going to take time. So in the meantime, you've got folks in in hotels and motels, which are not ideal situations. And so how do you kind of come up with what, you know, Brenda was describing as sort of like a suite of different options, right, where people can can move out of okay. shelters, not be on the street, but also then have like some options to move into more permanent situations. And, All right. you know, at this point, they're hoping okay. Waterbury could be part of it. And I think the community is open to being part of it, but they, the plan that we've heard so far is not much of a plan. There's no operator for this yet. Uh, Lisa, there's always the boring stuff at town meeting and then there's the exciting stuff why don't we start with what's going on at the waterbury town meeting i hear you're buying a new fire truck 
and doing a bunch of other stuff, but then we'll, of course, get to some of the bigger items as well. Yeah, well, you know, Waterbury is one of those towns that still has kind of a hybrid system in place, right? It has a, an in-person town meeting, as you would envision in our uh, primary school gym. Um, and so on, on town meeting day morning, and that's going to last a few hours, probably about 9 to noon. Um, and what happens there is, you know, you get your state representatives come, there's some announcements, there's the, the usual sort of little ceremony pieces, but the meat of it is discussing the town budget for the coming year. Um, all of the questions on our, on our warning that have to do with um, town finances are discussed and voted on at that meeting in person. Um, and then at the same time, on the other side of the gym is our polling place is set up, and that's open from 7 to 7 all day. And people are coming in, maybe catching a little bit of town meeting, but they're also coming in and voting their ballots. And on the paper ballot are all of the elections for town offices, uh, school offices, the school budget. Um, our career center here in central Vermont has a, a, a ballot. This year is obviously going to be the presidential primary, so people are coming and voting the paper ballots you know, all day long there. Um, and it's interesting, just listening to the, the, the promo about town meeting before this segment, um, Waterbury is a town of over 5,000 people, um, but essentially about 100 people are going to vote on our town budget this year. Um, and that's because it's done in person and most people can't be there. So um, it's really um, a matter of, you know, the, the folks who either, you know, are able to are work from home maybe and are able to take some time off. It's a lot of retirees. Um, there's, there's not a very uh, broad spectrum of our community that um, participates in voting on our, our town budget and the finance questions. And there's also... Uh, what's notable is something that's not on the ballot. You've got some offices with no candidates happening there. Yeah, that's another issue this year, um, which is, I don't know, I'd be interested to know if other towns are sort of having a similar difficulty. Um, we've got some, our, when you look at our paper ballot, there's a bunch of spots that don't have any candidates. Um, I know it's Friday, um, and the election is Tuesday. There's still time for people to run as a write-in. Um, but we have um, two town offices, a, a spot on our cemetery commission, I believe, and on the board of listers that have no candidates. But most importantly, there's two members of the Harwood Union's um, school board um, that are from Waterbury that are up for election this year. These are three-year terms on a 14-member school board, and there are no candidates stepping forward to take those positions. Um, and so at this point, if no one emerges as a write-in candidate, you need 30 votes to, to win as a write-in on election day. Um, those are going to be positions that the school board will have to fill by appointment after town meeting day. Um, and in that case, the person that would get uh, into those seats would be appointed until next year, so they would only be for one year. Um, so it's it's surprising and a little disappointing to see that there really isn't anyone, um, especially in a year where there's so much focus on what's happening with school budgets and school financing and all that, um, that there's nobody looking to get into those positions. So school budget. Um Property tax increases. Uh, it is the issue uh, across the state. Uh, the legislature is trying to take some of the sting out of it. What's the? How bad is the sting going to be in Waterbury? We're going to have a sting. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's it's been fascinating to watch this kind of bounce around. You know, this the all of this this new formula was rolled out um, as this is the first year using the Act 27 adjustments to the formula with different pupil weightings, et cetera, and it had this tax cap in there that the legislature just last week, just, they, they repealed that. 
Um, and all of this is sort of happening at, in a parallel course while the school boards are trying to put their budgets together to make their end of January deadlines to get on the ballots and everything for, for town meeting day. Um, so school districts everywhere, including ours, set their budget by the end of January, and the landscape has changed since then. Um, with the tax cap, we were looking at property taxes going up somewhere between 16 and 26 percent. Um, but then once the cap was removed, um, our board decided not to make any changes to the budget, um, and it looked like the tax increases were going to be 30 to 40 percent. Um, but then just last week, new information that's, that was being discussed before the final vote in the legislature um, tinkered with the, the piece that's the, uh, the, the state one of the state components in that formula, the yield, um, that brought that increase down now to 22 to 32 percent. But any of those numbers are just kind of eye-popping, right? I mean, who can, who's going to, who wants to vote themselves a tax increase of 25 percent, right? Um, in Waterbury right now, we're looking at um, a tax increase if you sort of do the, you extrapolate the math. If you remember this when we were doing town meeting day coverage, right? How much per hundred thousand dollar property assessment is your uh, is your taxes going to go up? And it looks like somewhere it's just short of uh, five hundred dollars for a hundred thousand value on your house. So if you've got a three hundred thousand dollar home value, it would be a fifteen hundred dollar increase on your property tax bill. Um, so these are these are big numbers. Um, and what's what's frustrating in, in trying to understand and explain this to people as you follow it and try to report it is that our school budget is going up 11 percent, but the taxes are going up, you know, 20 to 30 percent, and the tax increase isn't necessarily completely in proportion with the budget itself, and it has to do with how all the all the pieces in this formula are um, they're they're sort of funneling in money from different buckets to combine to. Uh, fund local schools. Not all of our funding for our local schools comes from our taxes. Um, and that's where it gets mysterious, I guess, <laughs> how some of these, these uh, parts of the equation are set in Montpelier. Uh, Lisa, you, you've been covering this. I've never, see, I've never seen, heard such a accurate and good description of the property tax issue. And in all your years of covering towns and this issue, have you ever seen a, 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 a education property tax hike like this? No, um, I, I haven't, and and it's and I think it's so um, difficult to manage because I think even the people who are in the thick of it don't entirely understand it, um, and and I think that's a good a good sort of big red flag flashing that, you know, this is broken and it needs attention. We had a forum here um, in mid-January um, at the middle school where a bunch of our state legislators and a couple of our senators, including Senator Cummings and Senator Perchlick, were here to just do a, a community forum to answer questions from community members. And education, of course, came up. Um, and, and one of the, the, the telling moments was when Senator Perchlick said that he had been on the, the uh, summer study committee for Act 127 um, that was looking at how this was going to move forward when the school districts had to like, take that and run with it to put together next year's budgets. And, and he very candidly admitted, he said, we on the study committee, we threw up our hands. He said, we, we didn't understand it. We, we couldn't follow it. Um, and so, like, <laughs> everybody just sort of gasped at that, thinking, wow, you know, that was 
last summer, and the people in Montpelier can't say that they totally understand how this is supposed to work. Um, and so I don't know how, you know, handing that off to the school districts and expecting them to, you know, implement this and it was going to work smoothly, uh, they expected that. Um, it's going to be hard. I think there's, there's going to be a lot of a lot of tough votes next week, and I think school boards um, all over the state are going to still have a fair amount of work to do um, to put together the, the budgets that their voters will approve. Um, but I also think there's going to have to be more work on the, the legislature's end to work with the school districts to figure out, like, what the sweet spot is um, from the state in terms of what they're willing to um, support and what they're willing to provide in that formula to make you know, this this whole, um, you know, combination of local money, state money, et cetera, work out to the point where the voters are going to accept budgets. I think there's going to be a fair number of additional elections happening later in the spring. Okay. Um, but a reminder, our, our guest is Lisa Scalotti. She's the editor of the Waterbury Roundabout. And if there's anybody that knows more about town meeting uh, around Vermont and especially in Waterbury, uh, I don't know them. Lisa, uh, let's turn, if we could, to Duxbury because they've embraced a, a, a new way of doing town meeting. Can you take us through that? Yeah, you know, it's it's been really interesting to watch this evolve over in Duxbury. This kind of came out of the pandemic. Um, so back in 2020 was the last town meeting, right, that early March, if everybody can remember back then. It feels like a lifetime ago where we had our, our town meetings handled the way that we traditionally did, and then everything changed. Um, one of the provisions that the state allowed towns to shift to during the pandemic was um, to modify how they handled elections um, to deal with, you know, keeping people distant, not being indoors. Um, and Duxbury, right off the bat, we had a we had our school budget go down that year, and so their, our first vote into the pandemic was in June 2020, and they did an outside format where they set up in the the loop in front of our middle school with tents, uh, little pop up tents, and. and People just sort of drove through and, and marked their ballots and dropped their ballots and, and went on their way. And that was a one-question vote, and that went very smoothly, and they, they liked it. Um, and so they, they conducted the rest of the elections during the pandemic that way. Um, the general election in um, uh, 22, the fall of tw in November 22, the other town meeting elections. Um, and they've since had a resident in Duxbury has made these very nice little booths. They've got these two booths that look sort of like ice fishing shanties. They're red, white, and blue. We've got pictures of them on our website. Uh, so they've now set up, not at the school, but in the, the parking lot um, in front of the town office and the town garage. Um, and there's two booths. Um, voters drive in, and you check in at one booth, and they hand you your ballot. There's space that you can pull over. You pull over to the side. You can mark your ballot. Um, and then you get back in the, the loop and you drive around and then you go to the second booth and you they even have it set up where voters um, can actually put their ballot in the machine because the machine is like in a little opening that you, you don't have to hand it to someone. You can actually still slide it in the, the, the scanner machine yourself um, and they check you out and you, you never get out of your car. Um, it's right outside the town clerk's office. Uh, the town clerk there really likes this setup. They've got, um, they run power to the booths. They've got little space heaters and lights. Um, they haven't really done it in really bad weather yet. There's been a little bit of mud, um, some snow, um, but they've had the highest turnout um, for their um, town meeting elections. Last year, they had a 23% turnout on, in the March town meeting, which was the highest of all the, the six communities in our school district that day. 
Um, and so voters like the idea of being able to, to, you know, make it convenient. They used to have a town meeting um, that was in person for everything, not just your budget, but they did elections um, from the floor, which often took a long time and some arm twisting, as you might remember. Um, so those, but it was also attended by very few people of the, the whole, um, you know, the, the whole town. So um, I think they feel like there's more ability for people to participate this way. Um, and the compromise that they made was that they've they've now created an early January, um, very town meeting-like meeting. Um, they call it Citizens Have Your Say Day. Um, they have it on the second Saturday in January. And it looks just like town meeting. Um, people come together. They they've, Two years in a row they've done this now where they've had about 100 or so people come. There's pie for breakfast. Everybody brings a pie. There's tables with community groups and their information. There's people knitting. Um, it looks really a lot like town meeting. Um, the select board is there, and they do a presentation on the budget, which at that point they have not finalized yet for the but for the ballots. And so it gives people a chance to ask questions and you know offer criticism or whatever. And there's still time for the the select board to tweak the budget before they settle on the final number. They've done this two years in a row. And they've had some pretty good conversations about their budgets. And in the end, there have been no changes that have been needed. Um, but it, it gives people that that time to see each other and to also have these debates and to ask questions to understand things. So that's kind of, you know, when we have this debate about whether or not to change the format of town meeting, people are, are afraid that that's what will be lost. Um, and this year um, up in Morrisville, they did a similar thing, and they they talked to the folks in Duxbury, and they kind of, uh, you know, followed their lead. I think they I think they even had pie at their meeting as well. <laughs> well, it's and 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 it's up to the town. There's nothing in the Vermont Constitution or any law passed by the legislature that that it's up to the town to do what it wants. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. In order to make this change in November, let me think, where are we now? It's 2024. It was November of 2022. They called a special in-person town meeting because if you're going to change town meeting, you have to vote in the way that your town meeting is already on the books. So since that their uh, format at that point was in-person, they called a special in-person town meeting. Um, it was the week after the general election in 2022. Um, they got 100 or so people out for that, and they had a long conversation. It took a couple hours. Uh, back and forth about whether or not to change the format. And in the end, they voted to change their format. Um, and so they did it then so that it was able to go into place for March of 2023. So it was the first time that they did it where they had everything on the, what they call Australian ballot, but everything basically on the paper ballot um, with that, you know, special informational meeting in January that gave them the chance to have the community gathering and the debate, et cetera. Um, and people people seem to really embrace it. Um, so you know, I feel like they've they've threaded that needle. Um, the wild card might be relying on the outdoor voting long term. I don't know what the weather. They've they've lucked out with weather so far. So as long as the weather cooperates and it's not too uh, too difficult to be out there in the elements, um, it seems like this works for them. Hopefully, though, we'll have a, a pretty. I haven't looked at the Roger Hills forecast yet for next Tuesday to see what it's going to be like. Well, it's, at least it's not uh, 10 feet of snow, which is forecast for today in the Sierras of California. It seems crazy. Um, Lisa, okay, one last thing, a non-town meeting issue. Uh, there's some discussion about where to hold elections in the future. Take us through that. Mm, um, yeah, you know, that's 
something on the horizon that I wonder if it's going to pop up in other towns. We just had this happen um, as a discussion here in our school district where um, the calendar has come out now for next year's school year, right, so the, uh, late August through, you know, June of 2025. Um, and in 2022, the midterm election, that was the first um, general election that we had coming out of the pandemic where people were together and there was a high turnout and our school here in Waterbury, our primary school, is our, is our traditional polling place for big elections. Smaller ones we've done at our town offices, but most of the general elections in town meeting are at our primary school. Um, and that day, there were um, parents from the school. It was a school day. Um, there were parents, there were community members, staff, even some of the election people were all a little leery seeing that situation unfold because it felt it, – it, it felt – uh, I don't know, it just made people nervous um, to see all of the members of the public just in and out of that building all day long, right, seven to seven, um, because the last in-person general election that we had had was 2018. 2020 was by mail. Um, and so a lot of has happened with school security since 2018. A lot of schools um, have gone to more strict um, security measures. They've got locked doors. They have buzzers. That's how our school normally works. On any given day, if you go to our school and you need to get in, you have to ring a buzzer. They sign you in at the office. It's very controlled. And so that day, on Election Day, with this, the building just open and people in and out all day long voting, it made people nervous. And so that was something that the town officials communicated to the school district to say, boy, you know, when we're looking ahead now to the presidential election this year, and will, you know, is it possible for when we use that school building for our election for it to be a day where the school is not in session? Um, and so that was, it's been, there's been a lot of sort of behind the scenes uh, negotiating happening right now, because that was sort of a new thing for the school district to consider. We also have a, a new superintendent who was doing this for the first time, the first general election that he's been on board. Um, so there's a lot of back and forth, and there's two other uh, towns in our district use their schools for elections. The others don't. There's six towns total. Um, the other two towns, Warren and Wheatsfield, uh, were able to find other buildings that they could use. So that wasn't an issue. But Waterbury is the largest. It has the most voters, and this is our largest public building with, that's accessible and has parking, et cetera. There wasn't a good alternative for them to look, look for, and they were really hoping that it could be just – you know, a more controlled situation. And in the end, the, the calendar that just came out last week, um, they, the superintendent managed to figure out a compromise where there's a, a, like a teacher in-service day for election day in November. Um, so that means that students will not be in school that day. Um, the teacher trainings that happen for those generally happen at the high school, so it's not even a matter of, of a lot of staff having to be around and, and be in the parking lot, et cetera. So the, uh, the community will be able to use the school building for its election in November. But I think... You know, going forward, this this may be something that is is a conversation that's going to happen in other places as well. You know, um, to try to, you know, figure out what's the the priority use for these buildings, which are public buildings, right? Um, so, and, and to sort of, you know, figure out how to have these competing uses, but also make sure that you're in a situation where you've got safety in mind. Okay, in the one minute we have left, where are you going to be on town meeting day Tuesday? Oh, I will be at our town meeting um, and following the all the action there with our budget and our fire truck vote and our new town moderator. It looks like Rebecca Ellis is interested in becoming our uh, our town moderator now. Um, and then probably visiting over in Duxbury and seeing how things are, are going with their voting. And I'm hoping to possibly end up at our high school for the uh, ballot counts on our school budget on Tuesday night. 
Okay, Rebecca Ellis, full disclosure, not my cousin, uh, former legislator, and uh, now now we're for Peter Peter Welch, but uh, no relation to me. Uh, that'll That's be true. that'll be great. She, she also she was a chair of our select board, and she was one of our state representatives. And Jeff Kilgore, who was our has, is our town moderator as of for a few more days, um, has done it for twenty years, um, and he's looking to pass the gavel. Um, and so the select board's meeting last week, they uh, were talking about how that transition might work uh, next week. So we'll have a, a new town moderator uh, as of next Tuesday. Well, you can find it all. Uh, if you could, if you miss this and you can't hear the podcast of this show, find it all at the Waterbury Roundabout, uh, waterburyroundabout.org. Lisa Scaloni, the king of all things town meeting and what's going on in Waterbury and Duxbury. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Have a great town meeting day. You too. Lisa Scaloni, I'll tell you, I've... She knows more. I sat next to her for oh, three years at the Burlington Free Press. Uh, she, I've never seen anybody cover, know more about what's going on in the towns uh, than Lisa Scalotti. She's a real community asset. Waterburyroundabout.org. Uh, we're going to be right back. We're at the 10 o'clock hour. We're going to come back with Bob May. We've got a lot going on nationally. So we'll be right back with all that. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.